You know it's showtime when this beat kicks in This is the TSR pop where all we do is win It's just football fiends on a mission Delivering opinions of my significance Man, I hope you've been listening Cause scouting is the business You're welcome cause it's a privilege Most people in this position just don't give it away, no so all that's left to say now is welcome to the show Cause you know Jacob and Ball were ready, so let's go Welcome into the TSR Podcast. This is episode 13. We have another amazing episode filled with great topics and even a special guest for you guys. Once again, this is brought to you by the Scouting Report LLC, where you can go to find your edge. As always, I'm sitting here with my co-host, Bo McCauley. And as mentioned before, we are joined by a special guest, NFL agent and writer for OverTheCap.com, Zach Moore. Zach, how is everything in Austin, Texas? Everything is, uh, for now, pretty good. Uh, I'm outside taking a walk. Excited to be on the podcast with you guys and uh, have something to talk about um, outside of what's on all of our minds right now. Yeah, man. So what's it like down there with the, uh, you know, just give us a short little um, description of what it's like down there with the COVID-19 situation. All right. So I've actually been in a scenario before in Boston after the Boston bombings where everyone was inside. So that was a really fascinating experience then. Um, We're not quite at that point yet. People are still out and about walking around, going for runs. Austin's a pretty young city, so I feel like people um, aren't as concerned about this, but we are all doing our best to keep our distance with people we don't know, just out of respect for each other and out of respect for what's going on. But, um, you know, it's only takeout uh, takeout and delivery right now. Uh, You can really only go to the grocery store uh, where you will hang out with more than 10 people, uh, (laughs) which is uh, part of the uh, request from the mayor and from everybody else is be in situations of less than 10 people. So I think we're probably, uh, I would imagine, are you guys in a similar situation up there in Virginia? Yeah, pretty much. So Bo's, you know, Bo just told me recently that we just had a, the first confirmed case in Danville, which is where me and Bo both live. So it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Like I said, it's only takeout and delivery. You're not able to sit down in restaurants right now. Um, they're saying the well, same there's thing. A, there's a 10 patron limit. Yeah. But, 10 patron uh, limit. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah, but it, I mean, that's real. It's real wishy-washy. I mean, I went in a place last night to get takeout and they offered us to sit down because there was only five people there. So it looks like most people are just staying away, period, even if there is a limit. Yeah. I mean, one of the uh, interesting thing that, things that might happen out of all of this is that uh, people realize they uh, they can cook from home a lot more. They don't have to go out as much. And uh, I'm saving maybe, money. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of weird economic things that come out of this um, in terms of behavior and, and all sorts of stuff of just as we realize what's most important and what's not, maybe, you know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. But, Zach, also, I have to throw in that you are an author as well. Um, everybody yes. go check out Zach's book, Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. You can purchase it on Amazon.com. Zach, tell us a little bit about your book, man, and what made you want to write it. All right, cool. So, there's also actually a second book coming this fall that will be a second edition that will be titled Caponomics, How NFL Champions Are Built and Dynasties Are Destroyed. And it's an extension of that first book. And it's going to be with Triumph Books, who's a very well-respected sports publisher here in America, which is, you know, super exciting for me to, you know, actually be a book that might be in Barnes and Noble. Like my dad, my dad's always been a publisher and editor. And so when I was a kid, we would go to Barnes and Noble and he'd be like, oh, I helped with that book. I helped with that book. So we'd always you always see it, and now I'm going to be one of those books, so that's exciting. And it's uh, what got me into it was I wanted to answer a question, and I think that's how any books um, or any real, really strong project comes about for yourself is that there's a question that you 
want to see answered and no one's answered it before. And my question that I came to the first book with was, hey, I have access to all this information about salary cap spending uh, for Super Bowl champions. I study it for over the cap. And what it like, what is it that basically how do you create a Super Bowl champion? And so I deconstructed the spending patterns that I saw. I played football in college at the University of Rhode Island. So um, I have a pretty strong knowledge of the game as, an a- as a player myself. And, you know, I'm, I've always loved watching it. I'm, you know, I've always been engrossed in the sport and, and sports in general. And um, through that, I had enough experience to take the data and then to kind of create some spending theories off of that. And what essentially, you know, part of what comes out came out of that was a textbook of spending patterns um, and the theories and principles behind um, constructing successful organizations. And the second book is going to take that and move it from more of a textbook focus, which is what the first book is. So it's really good for all the nerds um, like us that really enjoy um, diving into the numbers behind this stuff. But the second book is going to have a little bit more of a narrative now. And it's going to kind of tell the story of the history of innovation in football that's brought us to where we are today. It's still going to keep much of the meat of the first book about how we go about um, spending at certain positions, how we go about building the front office. But it's also going to provide context for why we believe these things based on the sort of lessons that we learned from all the great teachers and innovators like uh, Paul Brown, Bill Walsh. Um, you know, the, the list goes on to Parcells, Belichick's, Landry's, you know, all of this pieces together to get us to where we are today. And then we look at analytics and we're moving forward into the future um, of how data can further improve processes and decision making uh, on the field and off the field. Yeah, man. So, though, maybe I should write a book. But you think I should write a book? I think you should write a book on scouting. Yeah, maybe I should write a book on scouting. Zach, you've got me uh, motivated now. Maybe I should write a book, man. But also, I thought this was funny, too. Um, Zach, the first time I met you in person, I met you at a Blitzalytics scouting event that TSR was sponsoring. And this was last year in Indy during the NFL Combine. Um, I also learned that you were extremely passionate about something else as well, and that was jujitsu. I remember explaining to you that I had just started training myself. Are you still training a lot at 10th Planet down there in Austin? Yeah, I'm training a bunch when my neck isn't uh, on fire. So my neck's kind of been on fire. Uh, I got I have three herniated discs, which then results in pinched nerves and burning sensations down like my left side of my body through my hand. Um, so I took like a month off in February. I had a super fight super fight plan on the on the schedule with a a good uh, a good jujitsu player out of uh, Hibero Jujitsu, which is uh, affiliated with Hapio Lovato and. So a really good competitive school. I was psyched for that, but my my hands and my and my arm and my back was all burning. So I've been off the mat for a little bit, but man, when I'm when I'm healthy, I'm there five days a week. I mean, it's it's the most fun game there is. I think I like it more than I like playing football. And it's like a it's it's murder chess. So it's just like you get the and the thing is you're you're rolling with your friends most of the time. So you're sparring and you're practicing at a high level against people that you know aren't going to rip your arm off. So you can play with this murder chess and keep improving. And, um, you know, it's just from a strategic perspective, I, I think that it's really helped out my writing. It's really helped out the way I look at the game of football um, and really helped out how I kind of perceive the world itself. Yeah, man, I think the thing I'm most jealous about the whole with Tent Planet down there in Texas with you is you get to see Eddie Bravo a lot. And I think that's awesome because <laughs> Eddie Dude. Bravo is obviously famous in the jiu-jitsu world. So I think that's incredible that you get to see him and talk to him. 
man, I uh, I got to spend a uh, whole weekend together with him in September. Him, Sam Tripoli, and XG. Um, they're part of the Tinfoil Hat podcast and the Tinfoil Hat comedy show. They're big conspiracy guys. Um, and I got to spend a whole weekend together with them. We shot what will become a documentary. Now, <laughs> we've got nothing but time right now. So I think we're going to be able to uh, edit some of that documentary over the next few weeks, um, the next few months. I've never actually in, uh, taken on a project like that. But I have a teammate here. Um, we're looking and we're going to basically build a documentary about around Eddie's weekends, which now constitute comedy. Um, that weekend also had him go on the Alex Jones show. And then he had and then on um, and then on uh, Saturday, he had a jujitsu seminar. So from an entrepreneurial standpoint as well, um, Eddie's story is super fascinating to me because he's essentially figured out a way to make money off of being himself uh, via you know, his friend's podcast, Joe Rogan, via all his friend's podcast and just via who he is as a person and the kind of comedy and the questions that he brings up about, you know, various things that you should, as Eddie says, look into. Yeah, man, uh, I'm definitely jealous of you getting to see Bravo. That That's awesome. And I'll have to listen to his podcast. I haven't heard his podcast, so I'm definitely going to have to subscribe to that. Um, guys, let's get started with some of our topics. You know, we can sit here and talk all day, all three of us, but uh, let's get into the sports stuff that everybody wants to hear. Um, looking at our NFL topics right now, uh, which direction are the New England Patriots going to head at quarterback? I think this is a really big question right now, seeing as Tom Brady's left town for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And pretty much the only guy on the roster at this point is Jarrett Stidham but Bo just informed me and I, I wasn't even keeping up with this but Bo always keeps me informed Bo just told me that Brian Hoyer just re-signed with the Patriots um, yes. Bo, do, you, do you have any details about that um yeah I, it doesn't have any contract details right now but I was actually once I saw the news uh I immediately went over to over the cap and checked out the Patriots team cap space and I I think it, I mean it's not going to be for a lot of money. I think it says right here the team cap space is four point six million, and I mean I knew they were constricted in you know in the cap you know area, but I, I don't I don't see how other than the draft how they'd make another quarterback move outside of Hoyer. I don't see how they'd get the money to. Yeah, it it kind of feels like a tank situation, even if it's just a one year tank. Um, yeah. It, uh, when you consider all right, so consider the whole division. Um, consider how we all feel about the division right now. No one, we haven't been as excited about the AFC East as a whole in 20 years. So oh, we're easily 20 years. You know, so we're all excited about the idea that maybe Miami, like Miami has made some strong moves. Um, they're going to yeah. have a rookie contract quarterback. And as we'll get to shortly, uh, I know the, the questions leading up are which teams uh, are kind of early Super Bowl favorites. And if you have a rookie contract quarterback who is successful, so everything kind of relies on Miami hitting on whoever their uh, quarterback is. But if you have that guy and he's successful, as we've seen with Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and so on, um, if they provide you with starting quarterback quality play or high-level starting quarterback quality, quality play, you're getting $35 million worth of value out of a player that you're spending $7 million on. Say you, say you, get, a, say you get a top a uh, rookie contract receiver too, or some, you know, some other position and you get an even more value surplus. And Miami did something that Cleveland's done and did something that San Francisco did, which is they didn't spend money when they weren't going to be good. So they carried the money over. They stockpiled draft picks. They got rid of players that, you know, were assets, tremendous athletes, Minka Fitz, uh, tr tremendous assets, Minka Fitzpatrick, Laramie Tunsil. And they gave themselves a bunch of first round picks knowing that those guys might be expensive soon, whatever. Um, 
I think they have five first round picks in the next two years, something like that. Right. And then they got an extra second round pick somewhere along the line too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can really almost populate your entire roster if you hit on those picks. And even if you, even if you, you know, only get an average player out of it, you've got yourself a starter and uh, you know, you've got the role players and the pieces to kind of move forward as an organization. And uh, then you got Buffalo, similar situation, Josh Allen, who I'm not a believer in, but they put a lot around him now. Um, and, yeah. and is that enough to succeed? And, and while he's Jets, on the cheap too, right? He's, right. He's exactly. Consider the, consider the um, Jets. They had, they just went out and signed an entirely new offensive line for Sam Darnold. Now I'm not an Adam Gase believer, but from a, you know, salary. You're, you're on the right podcast then. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no doubt. This is three, three minds are, we're going to agree on that. Yeah. I mean, the only thing he's really done successfully was, uh, uh, lead an offense that had Peyton Manning at quarterback anyway. So, uh, was he really even the offensive coordinator? Um, uh, you know, so, so like, I, I don't understand the hype, um, which is something I, I feel often about football coaches. When you see a guy get recycled or whatever, it's like, give me, you know, be innovative. Give me some new, new coach. Be like Carolina, go to college, go find that OC that, that just blew up the league, uh, with a guy that Ohio state didn't want. Um, you know, so yeah, and then get Teddy Bridgewater, who already knows the offense that Joe Brady's running. Yeah, I mean that's and one of the other questions y'all have is Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Foles is now entering into a, a system that he at least had success with in Philadelphia. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, you know, so that's fascinating. So there's a lot of the like when we go when we talk about caponomics and kind of the stuff that I research and study. Like, th- there may be no more valuable person in an organization than the person who calls your plays as an offense. So consider that well, with, considering. With, the whole thing with on. the Patriots is, is you know, there were five legitimate contenders at quarterback when you know, were breaking down quarterback. Yeah. So everyone was thinking, okay, it's either Andy Dalton, you know, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton, you know, Brian Hoyer. Right when he got released by the Colts, I was like, they're probably going to pick this guy up. Yep. And then mm-hmm. Jarrett Stidham, the guy that they drafted um, last year in the draft, so, and then I guess there was always a possibility. You never know what Belichick's going to do. There was a possibility maybe they moved up in the draft for a quarterback. I didn't see him doing that. I never see uh, Belichick really moving up for guys. Yeah, um, I, I was surprised. Yeah. I was surprised last year when they took Nikhil Harry in the first round wide receiver. I was really surprised by that. But yeah, can, can you guys see Bill Belichick starting next season with Jared St- St- uh, Stidham under center? I can't see it. Let's see, with I, Brian I'm not saying- Hoyer starting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't, I'm not, you know, um, downing Stidham's abilities, but I don't see Belichick starting Jared Stidham last. I can, I can see Stidham, Stidham getting it at some point in the season, but week one, he's going to put the vet out there, like the real vet, you know. This is what third stint New England. Yeah. And consider this, consider this about all that is like he's had a lot of success finding guys in the middle round. So maybe, maybe, maybe Jared Stidham is something. Maybe someone in this class is someone they've got an eye on and they're going to take him in the second round or they're going to take him at the end of the first or um, so there's there are these various paths forward for them. Um, But from the other thing that kind of alerted me to the fact that they might be in a rebuilding situation, even though these players may be priced out of what New England wanted to spend is they let go of Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Oy. And linebacker is one of the most important positions in uh, Bill Belichick's system. It's be tough to fill. Yeah, it's going to be a tough role. And, and even Alandon Roberts is gone. So they've got like a lot of guys that were in their organization last year uh, at that position, at a position that, you know, is. And I've also seen in my research that it's, it's a valuable position because it's an inexpensive spot where like even Van Noy and uh, Collins are like 10 million per year and 12.75. 
So it's not like you're spending DN money or something like that. Um, so it's a valuable position because they they seem to age well as well. Um, and obviously it's tackle football. So that's something I tell people when I'm like, hey, linebackers and safeties are more valuable than we think. Yeah, they, they definitely are, 100%. Oh, yeah. Like you said, tackle football. So the the I didn't know if you guys think this was interesting. I thought it was the odds, sports betting odds right now uh, for the starting quarterback next year for the New England Patriots week one. Stidham right now is the favorite at plus 175. Uh, Newton, Cam Newton is plus 200, followed by Andy Dalton at plus 375. Now, this is before yeah, um, the Hoyer re-signing. Hoyer but, just happened. Yeah, yeah that just that happened. Yeah. But as of yesterday, and then Winston was the long shot at plus 700. I do not see Jameis Winston. What's no, amazing? They can't it, afford him. Let me ask you guys this. Is is it crazy? Ask me, do you guys think it's crazy that Jameis Winston, a guy who just threw for 5,000 yards, yes, he threw a lot of interceptions, but he also threw for 33 touchdowns. He's a former number one overall pick. Can y'all believe this guy hasn't been signed yet? Or, or Bo, Bo, you you first. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of believe it. He wants a lot of money um, after a lot of mistakes were made, so I can see the hesitation. I still think there's a lot of there's a lot of arm left in Jameis. He'll go somewhere and he'll probably win a starting job because he's not going to go anywhere like to for a pure backup job. No one's going to pay him that much to be the pure backup. You know, what I mean, in my opinion. So, I mean. I can see the hesitation wanting to pay his price tag for the mistakes he made. And I don't know. I'll, I'll let Zach take, you know, take it away after that. But that, that's how I feel. I, I agree on that. And, and the fact that they went with Hoyer over those other guys in terms of signing exactly. was also an indi- indicator to me that we're in tank mode. Um, because, you know, Cam Newton is a guy that gets you to 6-10 and 10 rather than 4-12. and 12. Um, You know, it, it might be an all-in scenario on Jared Stidham rather than, you know, uh, you know, going after one of these guys that Belichick might feel just puts them in the middle of the pack, which is kind of purgatory in some respects, right? I mean, when the teams, we've seen this the last couple of years, when teams like really, um, when things really hit the fan, um, they kind of let, let them hit the fan for a year. And then they, you know, they re, reprogram themselves. Uh, you know, they, they use the assets that they do have to kind of move forward. But Belichick's also different than everybody else. So, Maybe he knows something's coming that we don't know. Um, oh, yeah. It, you know, so, but uh, on that point of Winston, I don't, I mean, 30 interceptions. I mean, that's a <laughs> lot of bad decisions. Yeah, like, you for, watch him. Yeah, for $25 million, you're probably going to have to pay him. I mean, that's that's a lot. Is that, is that what he's asking for? I mean, pretty he's, much. He's definitely pretty much. North of $20 million after Teddy signs for 20 he's definitely going over Because 20. you got the, you got to think about with the, the way Winston's looking at this. He's like, I'm a former number one overall pick. Yeah, I have yeah. a lot of interceptions, but he's also looking at it. Well, I just threw for 5,000 yards and 33 yeah. touchdowns as well. He'll say, look what I did. He'll say, look at the numbers I threw up for Mike Evans, too. Stuff like that, you know. And my, and my perspective on that is that Bill Walsh is one of the most important things about the Walsh system and about his philosophy is that a quarterback is judged on what he doesn't do and what he doesn't, you know, and, and that and what that means is he doesn't throw interceptions and he doesn't give up the football. And yeah. when you consider what Jameis Winston is, those yards are great, but where does it get you if you, you're turning the ball over twice a game? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. It's true. It's 100% true. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Jameis. And like I said, I, I'm with you guys. I think the Patriots at this point look like they're in tank mode with with Hoyer being signed. Uh, I don't know. Is Hoyer going to start Stidham? Are they just getting Hoyer in there as a backup and mentor for Stidham? It's still going to throw Stidham out there. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what Bill um, you know, plans up 
for the I can totally, I can totally see them ending up with like a like a Cole McDonald from Hawaii and oh, having Hoyer there that. to mentor that. I mean, just bringing in a good athlete to compete with those with Stidham and Hoyer, and then if he wins, you got Brian Hoyer schooling him on the offense. So. Yeah, yeah, I would love to see Cole McDonald there. Um, but like, I think but, I think that's the move that that uh, I think you're spot on with that. I think that's the move that they're considering is that hey. Hoyer's here to mentor somebody and see if we we can find something in those mid rounds. And like you, you guys know better than me who are the guys that you know you'd go after and and consider what Belichick might do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you never know. I feel like Belichick. You know, like I said, whenever he does something that I think is kind of weird, I'm like, okay, well, this guy knows something. He knows something that we oh, don't yeah. know because he's, he's three he's, steps ahead of us. Yeah, he's sure. always three steps yeah. ahead. But so what, it's interesting to see what he's going to do. Uh, talking about other big moves and free agency signings around the league, um, Todd Gurley, guys, went back home to Georgia and joined the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he signed a one-year deal worth $6 million. Uh, Gurley's 2020 earnings, which I think are interesting, are going to look something like this. The Rams will be paying him $7.5 million. The Falcons are paying him $6 million. There's a um, negative two and a half million dollar offset, which will make the total eleven million dollars next year that he will be earning. Um, it keeps Gurley as one of the league's three highest paid running backs. Now, at one point, guys, tell me if you agree. I believe Todd Gurley at one point was the best running back in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this guy showed up balling to start his NFL career, which makes it a shame because we all can see where this guy's, uh, you know, his his career may be heading due to the knee tendonitis. He's a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro. He was the 2015 Offensive Rookie of the Year and the 2017 Offensive Player of the Year. Um, and last year, he had the fewest amount of touches he's ever had in his career, and he still had um, over 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns. What type of impact do you guys see him making in the Atlanta offense? Uh, well, for for me, I I, I think that um, he's still got something left, but I also think that the uh, arthritis concern in his knee is very real. Uh, I think that while he's talented, he's uh, another sad case like Marshawn Lattimore of a guy who got injured while playing football for essentially for free uh, that will severely uh, impact his career. And, you know, running back is just a bad second contract investment. So the deal by the Rams was really bad. Um, from, I mean, I think Joel Corey posted that he made like $22 million more than he would have made if he just played out the contract and he's not going to play in any sort of new contract years, but for $6 million in Atlanta, that's, um, that's a gamble that's worth taking because I think that's really where, uh, you can find some value at running back like, um, Jordan Howard with Miami. I think Howard has no dead money in his second year. Yeah. He it was two years, a, 10 million, right? Right, and his, his, he doesn't have a signing bonus. He has a roster bonus. So it's essentially a one-year deal with, hey, if you play well, uh, we'll keep you around. If you don't and someone else emerges, we're going to get rid of you. And that's the unfortunate nature of the beast with the running back market is that the real age of decline is, is before 30. You know, the real age of decline for much of this is like can be 28. Um, according to football, especially if if the college workload's big, like, like, like the Benny Snell's with 3000 yard seasons. Yeah. That's Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, exactly. Or uh, AJ Dillon. Huge load in college. I've said this uh, everywhere. It's like, there may be no more violent position in all of sports than running back. When you consider, uh, what they do, how often they get hit. And the fact that they are, um, typically smaller than the people they're getting hit by. Yeah, they're yeah. second to the second to the lineman. Yeah, so, yeah. So I think it's I think it's and I think earlier. Let me see if I did. You mean to say Marshawn Lattimore? You meant to say Marcus Lattimore, right? 
Marcus, yeah, yeah, Mar- Marcus, not Marshawn. Okay. I was gonna yeah, say I don't, I don't remember Marshawn Lattimore having that uh, <laughs> the injury. No, Marshawn Lattimore. So for a minute. I was like, I, am I missing something? But um, I, I think, like you said, Zach, the, the knee is definitely a big issue. It, it's sad. It's really sad because this guy for the for about a three year span, it was like this guy's unstoppable. I mean, this guy's mm-hmm. going to just run away with records galore. Yeah. I mean, what he Looks had like, like a thirty. Hall of Famer. T- he had like 38 touchdowns in two seasons or something like that. Yeah. I mean, just some ridiculous number. Um, so you guys definitely see the the knee. I mean, is this going to be an early career ender for him? I'm not trying to speak um, something into existence, but do you see this something that's going to possibly end his career early? It'll, it'll it'll end his career as a starter early. I mean, he yeah. might try and hang around the league, but it'll end his career as a feature back early for sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's 25 years old, and we're having this conversation, right? Exactly. I'm pretty sure he's 25. So, I mean, is he even in the league at 29? Um, because it has, has he already been? You know, has his has his life cycle been completed at that point? And probably has. Yeah, I just can't. You know, it, it's terrible to see this um, happening to a guy of his his star caliber. But um, speaking of, of Todd Gurley, there was another guy that was in the same draft class. Both guys were highly coveted coming out. That's Melvin Gordon. He also just signed, got signed to a new team. He got signed to the Denver Broncos. Uh, they signed him to a two-year deal worth $16 million, um, $13.5 million guarantee. Now, Zach, you're our big cap expert here. Uh, do you like the deal that Gordon got from the Broncos? Well, it's less than what uh, L.A. offered him, you know, uh, apparently. You know, L.A. offered him like a 10-year uh, – dollar per year deal um and you know they held out and they had all that and i think there was a misperception of what his market was and how valuable he was especially considering everything that the analytics community understood about austin eckler and and his ability to uh you know he's elusive he runs routes extremely well um you know so there was no real need for the chargers to shell out anything more than 10 million dollars a year on him and they offered him that and he ended up getting less um, with the Broncos. And, of course, I, and I don't have in front of me either, you know, what the guarantee structure was or how that contract and how that money would have been paid out. But I have a feeling that he would have gotten more money if he uh, just took whatever L.A. gave him. And, um, you know, there's just, just the, the running back market's going to be gone. You know, that's oh, it is. Next, Absolutely. You know, the next CBA in five years – no one's going to be investing in running backs and because it's just we're going to have another cycle of guys where people figure out, wow, this wasn't worth it. Um, it's an easily replaceable position. They age horribly. Um, and that's bit was my major concern with the CBA. And trust me, with everything going on now, I'm very glad they signed it because uh, in a year from now, we, we, we don't we have no idea what's going on going to happen right now. And two, after 2008, the owners, you know, they they played up how much that impacted them. And that was part of what they brought with them to the negotiation. So if they didn't sign this uh, CBA, it would have put them in a position where uh, we can't foresee the consequences of what's going on right now. And the next offer was probably going to be much worse for the players. Well, something that me and Bo talked about, and you know, uh, Bo, Bo said that he definitely had a problem with this. Uh, and I'll let you chime in on it, Bo. The, 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 I had a big problem, just like you did, Bo, with 500 players in the NFL not even voting. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. That's your that's, that's your future and guys coming in the league after yours future. It just doesn't. I don't get it. Yeah, and, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get around to what I uh, what I meant to say about Gordon was that like my big concern with it was um was that 
uh, he that it takes three years to be able to negotiate an extension in the, in the CBA. Um, it takes four or five years if you're a first round pick to get to free agency. And there are, are certain positions like wide receiver and cornerback that teams are going to realize aren't high quality investments on a second contract. And play the market, those markets are going to be impacted in a similar manner to what happened at running back, even though wide receiver and cornerback are more valuable in a pass focused league. Um, so, you know, what I see in 10 years is more and more and more money is going to be stuffed into the quarterback market like it has been over the last few years as the market jumped from jumped $10 million from June 2017 with Derek Carr at $25 million to now Russell Wilson in April 2019 signing a contract worth thirty five. So yep. certain markets are going to get stuffed with cash. Other markets aren't going to see the kind of earnings that they could see, and they're always going to be severely impacted in terms of what they can earn by the franchise tag. Yeah, like you said, Melvin Gordon took less money going to the Broncos um, than he would have got with the Chargers. And I, I, like you said, I think he should have just uh, re-signed with the Chargers. I think he still would have been in a better situation. I think they're going to have a young quarterback coming in there to uh, play for them. I think they're going to draft a quarterback in April. But, you know, I think that the Broncos, they got a pretty good deal for him uh, with the $16 million, $13.5 guarantee. Um, he's had difficulty staying healthy throughout his career, but he's shown what he could do when he's on the field. Uh, he's a two-time pro bowler, can run between the tackles, excellent receiver out of the backfield. But this was interesting to me, and I don't know if you guys heard this. Apparently, he was given a better offer by another team, but wanted to stay in the same division as his old team. And I love that there's going to be yeah, drama there great. next year. I love yeah. that. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it reminds you of Richard Sherman. Um, Richard Sherman it does, took, it does. Took, took what might have been less money with the 49ers to keep playing the Seahawks. Absolutely. So Gordon clearly wants to prove himself. He wants to show the charges that he was worth more money. Um, it, like, like you said, it's a, it's a funny situation, Zach, because like you said, they were going to pay him more money than the team he's on. So, so it's kind of a weird situation. What type of impact do y'all see Gordon having in the Denver offense? And as for myself, I don't – I'm not a huge fan. Some people may be – I'm not a big fan of the Gordon-Lindsay tandem because I think they're pretty much uh, – you know, the size is a little bit different, but I think they're almost the same player. What do you guys see with that? Uh, well, I, th I think they're very similar players. And, uh, well, I also wanted to add, he was saying how the money's going to be getting stuffed into quarterbacks and stuff like that again. I think you're going to – what we saw in this free agency is I think a lot of really good, dependable linemen – got really big contracts this offseason. Yeah. I think I think like the Vitae deal and like Brian Bilaga's deal. I mean look Whitworth. at Whitworth just Whitworth's thirty eight and just got that deal. You know, and that's like that is you're gonna see a lot of that going forward. It's the concept that if you put the right guys in front of them, any back will be able to succeed. So I wanted to put that little anecdote in yes. there. And and I think that I think Gordon is gonna look very similar to Lindsay. Uh they should not shut Lindsay down. They should keep him as a one two punch. Um, they should not just like heavily handed. It's only to Gordon. They should use well, them in the ask, offense. What's going to be the depth chart here? Right? What do you I mean, mean, it's got to be Lindsey the two. It's got to be. Do you, are you are you feeling the same way, Zach? Do you think it's Lindsey at the two now? Because Lindsey's had back to back a thousand yard seasons. For what this are you going to make? What are you going to pay? Sorry for jumping in. Well, I mean, how do you? What are you going to make Gordon the fourth highest paid running back in the league, and then just be second on the depth chart? I guess that's the, true. The thing is, is that um, there is an ability. Well, they, they screwed up first off with Joe Flacco. I have no idea why they restructured his contract to put because they were in a position where if he didn't work out last year, they could have gotten rid of him with no consequence. And they went out and they drafted a quarterback and Drew Locke. Obviously, they were kind of trying to create cap space in that year 
But everything about that Flacco move was strange to me. But they've now got they now got themselves Drew Locke, who seems to be their quarterback. And, you know, that $8.5 million invested in Gordon isn't a crazy investment. You know, it's, it's not a ton of money. It's, I, think, I believe it, you know, it's less than 5% of the salary cap. It might be less than 4. Uh, yeah, I would, yeah, it's less than 4%. It's about 4% of the salary cap. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be as concerned with who's getting paid more. I think it's just going to end up being whoever is performing at the highest level. And I, I would, would both of us, would all three of us agree that uh, Philip Lindsay is probably going to be the guy that performs at a higher level? I would probably say so. Yeah, I, yeah. I could I could see people talking, you know, throughout the season about him deserving the starting job. Yeah, and um, you know, but Gordon will be around there for two years, considering the amount of guarantees in his contract. So he'll see he'll see money. Um, so that's a super big positive for him. Um, and, and you know, he'll he'll at least make thirteen point five million dollars, uh, which which is which is something you can live off of in these uh, pandemic times. And yeah. something that something that people probably need to look at too is you know it's not that some people may be confused by the move some you know there could be some Denver fans now most Denver fans will be happy with this but there's probably some that are like well we already had a running back we already had Philip Lindsay but this is all about supporting Drew Locke giving yes. him more help you've got two pass catchers coming out of the backfield now you've got two very solid running backs because maybe you have these two. Um, guys out of the backfield catching passes down because they have some uh, a lack of options in the receiving uh, and wide receivers. So, And I think they're going to draft a receiver uh, at some point in the draft. But I think this is to give Drew Locke all the help that he can possibly get. The Denver Broncos also just signed Graham Glasgow, Glasgow from the uh, Detroit Lions, so uh, who's a guard. So I think they're just really trying to help Drew Locke move along the process and become more com- comfortable. Yeah, and I, I think you've made uh, – I think it was you. Uh, no, no, Bo made, made one of the other points. There's, there's two really smart points that both of you have made, um, is that Drew Locke is a rookie contract quarterback. If you have a rookie contract quarterback, you have more money to spend, whatever, right? But, like, I like pairing him with, with a running game that you know is going to do well. And I think that we can safely assume, you know, just from an odds perspective, right? It's, it's so cool that we can kind of openly talk about the odds of gambling and stuff now, right? And just That's think great. from an odds perspective. Right? Think, think from an odds perspective. What are the odds that that running game and that defense can um, can help facilitate Drew Locke being more successful? Oh, the odds, odds are great. Right? Oh, so, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. I, I, see a, I see them having a, a winning home record next year for sure. Right. So, so that, now, run, that, yeah, that run game and that defense is in that, in that atmosphere in Denver is a recipe for wins. Right. So, you know, they're going to be competitive. That's great. And then another thing you said is, too, is I think you're spot on with the fact that money is going to keep being stuffed into the offensive line, because I think people have recognized that behind the quarterback, that is your most important investment. And that is also probably your safest investment on the offensive side of the football uh, behind quarterback. And that is something that facilitates um, a clean pocket. A clean quarterback means an efficient likely high, higher producing quarterback, and it's the best way to invest to ensure success in the running game. Like you just said, with the offensive line now being probably the second most important behind a quarterback, um, getting everything set at that position. Me and Bo, this is a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the Baltimore Ravens and how obviously they just franchise tagged uh, Matt Judon, but the Baltimore Ravens did something that was a little bit um, unorthodox in other teams. They built their, you know, all these teams are putting tons of money into edge rushers. They're putting all a lot of their bank into them. But what the Baltimore Ravens did is they went – they built from the back to the front. They put yeah. a lot of their draft picks and a lot of their capital into um, the secondary and moved moved 
up through the front seven then. They wanted to make sure that the secondary was taken care of, and they didn't focus that much on the edge rushers. They even let two of the best ones leave. So, And they still did well. Here's, here's an important uh, thing that PFF figured out, which was uh, investing in the secondary is a better investment than investing in the pass rush. And something that I, I found out in the research for the second book with a friend of mine who did an analytics study for me um, was that defensive like defensive line is the hit or miss you know kind of proposition more so than um basically what he what he gathered was safety and linebacker the two most uh efficient uh best investments in a defense and i think that's something that people uh, around the league i think the league doesn't reflect that yet and i think that that's something that's going to start being reflected more and more especially at secondary because we consider like the pass rusher and we consider um, the cornerback as like freak athletes, but again, like I said, tackle football, right? And what's what's more of a freak than a safety who can cover a tight end and bang with a you know bang with a running back and and fill in the run game, right? So, um, you know, building the back end I think is more important than building the front end. And then when you consider age curves, like I said about cornerback, um, you know, safety like they invested is a strong spot. And then you know after that, I think then you approach the pass rush game. And uh, they found some they, they've invested a lot in the in in the uh, in the pass rush now. But when you consider Calais Campbell, um, I think that's a strong investment. And it's like a third or fourth. Con- Did they restructure renegotiate his deal? Yeah, I think they re- renegotiated too. And Bo was a massive fan of this. Bo couldn't stop talking about this Calais Campbell trade and how they got him for a fifth round pick. I remember that. Yes, yeah, yeah, because they got it. They traded a backup kicker to the Vikings for a fifth round pick and then turned it around and got Calais Campbell. Yeah, what? and one, one of the things actually is that that fifth-round pick, it ended up not being that fifth-round pick. It ended up being the fifth-round pick that they got from the Falcons for Hayden Hurst. Um, oh, so, that's interesting. That's interesting. So they, well, they, they, still, just, they still just have that fifth-round pick that you're talking about, but just, just for the sake of uh, the fan, just so we're on the same page, or the person that's listening to this, um, that, from, what I, from what I read from Schefter, uh, from what I remember, he said, um, that is the one that went, uh, the one that they, the one that they got from the Falcons is what went to the Jaguars. Okay. That's, that's yeah. really interesting. Um, guys, another team, then this team has had a, a lot of struggles making it, um, getting over the hump in the playoffs, the new Orleans saints. They had two big signings recently. They signed wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders and safety, Malcolm Jenkins. Um, Sanders signed a two year deal worth 16 million. Uh, it could be worth up to $19 million though. He's 33 years old, but has shown to be, he's, he's shown to be pretty durable. Um, and he played 17 games last season, so, so that was good. I liked him in the 49ers offense, but I love the thought of him and Michael Thomas being on the same team. Uh, you know, the team was already dangerous enough with Kamara, Jared Cook, Michael Thomas, Drew Brees. And now you add in Emmanuel Sanders. I think it's just going to be almost impossible to cover these guys. Um, do, you, do you guys like Emmanuel Sanders in that offense? Uh, like I said, Sanders may be older, but I still see him making a large impact next season. Bo? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I think he's perfect for it. Uh, it's an intricate offense. Um, he's a guy who's willing to do it all over the top and in between the hashes. Um, so he's perfect for it. I mean, uh, Peyton loves the do-it-all guy. So yeah. I think he's great. Yeah, well, see, he had 60. It was obviously 2019. His 2019 season was spent spent split up between San Francisco and Denver. But he, mm-hmm. in total, he had 66 receptions, uh, almost 900 yards and five touchdowns. Um, Zach, what do you think about the signing of Emmanuel Sanders? 
I think that he's someone who's still proven to have something left. I think he, when you look when you watch the film, when you watch him play, right? He's still explosive. He's still a fantastic player. Um, it's not a high priced investment. And when you're thinking about like the cost of something, um, and you think about the potential, right? Like, what'd you say, sixteen million over two? It was sixteen million, and it can be worth up to nineteen million. Right. So let's say it's eight million dollars a year. Um, are you going to get eight million dollars a year worth of production out of Emmanuel Sanders? I think that's a pretty safe bet. I would say so. Yeah, I'd say so. Oh yeah. You know, so like he's a, he's a guy with Drew Brees who could who could get a thousand receiving yards, like, and that's worth more than eight million dollars. It definitely um, is. You know, so that's super fascinating to me. And I think the other thing is Malcolm Jenkins. I think he still has something left in the tank. And and uh, you know, that's another thing about safeties is they they age pretty well. Um, but- Let's think about that, that the setup of the secondary with the Saints with Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah. This is really cool. You've got your left cornerback is going to be Eli Apple. The strong safety is going to be Didn't he Malcolm leave? Jenkins. I thought he left. Eli Apple's still there. Okay. okay. Isn't he a, uh, wait, is he, he's a free agent, right? Is he a free agent? I thought Man, so. my, yeah, I, yeah. Y'all, y'all fact check this for me now. Don't let, don't let me come out here and embarrass myself. Look I'm, into, uh, look I'm, into looking the, on my, I'm looking on my list right now to see if I put him in last week. Um, I could have sworn I saw that he was getting let go. Or well, okay, then the left cornerback is going to be up for um, um, competition in training camp, unless they sign someone else. But you know, you've got Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams. I think that's yep. a, that's an awesome tandem at yep. safety back there. And then you've got Marshawn Lattimore, uh, who who preferably plays the right cornerback <laughs> position. Um, e- Eli Apple is now on the Raiders. On the, you're right. I did see that. I don't yeah, know what yeah, I was yeah. thinking. See, I'm coming in here unprepared. I'm embarrassing myself. Yeah. Anyway, nah, guys, they're gonna need, they're gonna need. benefit from the they're gonna benefit from having the age like the, that veteran leadership. In the That's line. what I'm saying. I love Malcolm Jenkins being with Marcus Williams. Um, I, I just love that tandem. Also, uh, Zach, I don't know if you know the um the details of the deal. He uh, Jenkins signed a four year deal. Um, it was $32 million contract, $16 million guaranteed, and it has a $9 million signing bonus. I think this is cool because this is going to be Jenkins' second tenure with the New Orleans Saints. He played his first five years of his career with them. Um, and, you know, the secondary was already talented. I love him being inserted into that. Um, so, so do you think – are you surprised by the $32 million four-year length of the uh, contract, Zach? No, because I think it sounds like a two-year deal, right? Like sixteen million dollars guaranteed, and uh, I think that I think he's going into this season at uh, I think he's going into this season at thirty-three. He might be going into at thirty-four, but I think he's someone who's already proven that he he's uh, still performing at a at a high level. And uh, I don't I don't think that um, you know I don't I don't I don't think they'll regret that kind of investment. Eight million dollars and a with a $200 million salary cap with Drew Brees making $25 million or did he, did he sign yet for $25 million? Uh, or is that, did, it was, has he, he signed, he signed a two year deal worth 50. Yeah. Yeah. Drew, $25 Drew million dollars a year. Um, which, you know, is that is the kind of discount on a Drew Brees that allows you to then go out and spend, you know, $8 million on either an Emmanuel Sanders or Malcolm Jenkins. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? So, so, um, you know, and they, Michael Thomas is about to get expensive. I, I, saw, I just saw the other day that they signed Andrews Pete to an extension. Um, you know, th- this is the window for them. These are the kind of investments that you make when you're in that window. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident. One thing about New Orleans is no matter what they seem to do from a contract perspective, they always seem to figure it out. I mean, for five years, they always been, do. you know, for like in the mid to uh, 2010s, I was like, you know, you look at their cap situation and you're like, what are they doing with all this dead money? What are they doing with this big investment here? What are they doing with, 
Um, you know, Drew Brees costs a lot of money. What are you doing here? Um, and, you know, I think that I, I think that I can often underestimate what someone like, uh, you know, what someone like the, the front office of the Saints and the front office of the Packers can do um, around an expensive quarterback and what they're capable of doing. I still, you know, I still have my reservations about spending money at quarterback when it's a guy who isn't Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. But organizations have shown that they can still field a highly competitive team that can make it to the conference championship um, with a crazy what looks like a crazy 15 percent of the salary cap type of investment in a player. Yeah, absolutely. Bro, do you think this gets them over the hump? Do you think, do you think these two signings are what they needed? I mean, what, what do you? Um, I, I, it could be. I mean, the, they're going to be right at the top of the, the pecking order in the NFC this year. We, yeah, we already it's, said they'd be number one in the division. The problem in New Orleans is just made – they've made, you know, just frustrating mistakes down the line when they shouldn't, when they're better than that. So I think Malcolm Jenkins could sure up the back end, give them that leadership they need, and and Emmanuel Sanders could be a really good underneath compliment to Michael Thomas. That I think he'll, he's that's the best number two receiver they've had with Michael Thomas, would you? Right? Yeah, like yeah, by absolutely. far, like by absolutely. far. So it, I mean, it could. I guess you had Brandy Cooks at one point, but I would say, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, Brandy Cooks, but I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, I'd say, has probably had a better career. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't he would, you he's had a better career, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say Emmanuel Sanders had better had a better career. Yeah. And speaking so I of, like speaking, it. Speaking of guys in the secondary, um, the Eagles traded for Lions cornerback Darius Slay, guys, which is probably I loved Byron Jones to Miami, um, but. I, I really like this team fit. The Eagles sent a 2023rd and fifth round pick to the Lions for Darius Slay. Um, and then the Eagles extended him. They uh, signed Slay to a three-year, $50 million uh, extension. And he says that he is going to wear number 24 to honor Kobe, which I think is really cool. Um, and apparently, a, a lot to do with the trade. There, there was rumored to be a rift growing between Slay and Lions head coach Matt Patricia, um, which could have led to this ultimately. Um, but I love the team fit. Do you think this is definitely a good fit for Darius Slay with the Eagles, Zach? Yeah, I think that um, apparently he, uh, him and Matt Patricia had some real issues. And when you hear uh, the Belichick disciples and the issues that they may or may not have with, with, uh, with their players, it's like I think that you, uh, you realize that Phil Belichick has sort of earned his miserly attitude that some may think uh, he has or like, you know, the kind of demanding attitude he has. Um, it was a really weird story about Matt Patricia, right? And then, uh, but now I think he's in a situation where he's going to be successful. I think that the Eagles found themselves a corner because uh, he had a, he had a terrible PFF grade last year. Oh, he had um, awful. Yeah, it dropped off the. It dropped. You know, it really dropped. Um, it really dropped. All right, hold on. There's a fire truck coming my way. <laughs> hold on. This is the content we needed, though. This is yeah, the yeah. We I think uh, it's good that it's a fire truck and it's not an ambulance, but uh, we might want to mute this real quick. Let me mute it up. You see, we thought we thought it was going to be my dog doing. Yeah, we thought it was going to be Bo's dog, but yeah, I guess it's uh, Zach, yeah. Zach Moore out walking the streets this, around. This is fire what happens truck. when you're everyone's quarantined to their house and you got to make weird weird arrangements to, to record your yeah. podcast. Yeah, my uh, my girlfriend's got two kids, so I didn't I didn't want to uh, be cooped up in the. In her, in her bedroom while they're making noise downstairs. But today we've got some, uh, we've got some, uh, what's it called? We got some, 
We got some ambience from a fire truck. Yeah, yeah, we got that'll that'll wake up ambience. the listeners. Get them, get them tuned in for the second. <laughs> that Bobo, that's what we need to do, man. We just need to get some background, uh, like police and fire truck sirens, just to get everybody <laughs> tuned in. Get old, like in old Lil Wayne songs and stuff. Yeah, and just so they just so they get a grasp of, uh, yeah. of what we're going through to get them the content. Absolutely. <laughs> but what do you think of the fit with Darius Slay, man? I know you you like Darius Slay. I think, and you know, I want you to speak on this too, Bo. The whole thing, Darius. Slay came out and said that he didn't even um, respect Matt Patricia as a, a person, not just a coach. He said, "I don't respect this guy as a person." I mean, what do you make of that? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, Patricia's did come from the Belichick tree, so maybe his player relations skills weren't really worked on too much uh, with Belichick. So maybe they just didn't know how to re- how to relate. I mean, there's a problem with that between coaches and players, and I, I don't really know where the lack of respect thing you know comes from. But I like I like where he's. Uh, I think the Eagles and Doug Peterson is, is, is a good place for him. I think he's going to respect Doug Peterson. You know, he's won a, cha- a championship as a head coach. I think he's going to fall right into place over there, and he's he, he's going to be the back end leader of that defense. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. When I saw that, because right when he got, when, when it was looking like he was going to get traded, I thought the Eagles were already an awesome landing spot. Okay. I, and, you know, a lot of times, like, I feel like I don't know if it's the same with you guys. When I see a team, like when, when I think I even told you, Bo, we were talking on the phone, and right when Gurley got released, I told you, I was like, well, I like the Falcons. I didn't know anything about him going to the Falcons, but I was like, I think he'd do well in that offense. And it was awesome to see him getting it's, signed there. It's perfect, perfect fit for Gurley. I, and, and, I, we agreed on that. And what? And once you get, once you start keeping up and reading enough, and you get as addicted to sports as you know the three of us are, you can kind of almost predict where these guys are landing because you know what schemes that they're good in, what teams are probably interested, what yeah, team needs know, them, what needs them is yeah, that, that's yeah. a huge thing. Yeah. So, so, so that's what was easy to, to guess that Gurley was going to end up in Atlanta. Um, but I, this is a we talked about the whole Patriots quarterback issue. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, I want to talk about another. I don't know if you call it an issue or a situation. What does the Nick Foles signing mean for Mitch Trubisky, guys? Um, a year after Jacksonville signed this guy to a four-year, eighty-eight million dollar deal, they have traded to the Chicago Bears. Um, Jacksonville traded quarterback Nick Foles to the Chicago Bears for a co- compensatory fourth-round pick. Um, Foles has also restructured his contract with Chicago. He can now avoid the deal after either one of the first two seasons if he chooses to do so. Um, if everyone remembers, Nick Foles broke his clavicle in week one last season, which gave Gardner Minshew the chance to come out and shine. It looks like they're now moving on with um, mustache mania or Minshew mania, either one yeah. you want to call it. Um, yeah. What do you guys think this means for Mitchell Trubisky right now? I uh, I think it means that uh, Mitchell Trubisky is exactly what uh, PFF has been saying he is, and the Bears fans have been hoping he wasn't, uh, which is uh, you know a flop, a real serious flop for the organization that traded up. Uh, I, I wish I had it in front of me the draft capital that they traded up because oh, I think it one was of the hilarious. Picks, yeah, one of the picks ended up being Alvin Kamara, and oh um, god, Jesus, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, don't quote me on it. Look into it if you're out there. Uh, I might be wrong, but they they moved up one pick. They traded away like a first, a third, and I think a late round pick as well to move up one pick. And San Francisco wasn't going to draft him anyway. Yeah, and they, then you they have to draft him anyway. And and then you have Mahomes and Watson, um, you know, behind uh, drafted behind him. And if and I said this during the season, I'm like, when they were at like three and three or something, I'm like, if 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 they if they had Mahomes or Watson. Are they the top Super Bowl contender, considering what else is there? And I think at that moment, I was like, you know, they're top four. They're top five. You know, they're up there. They got Khalil Mack. 
They've got, you know, and, and like, I, I, you know, I, I say that you should invest in secondary before p- pass rush, but I mean, obviously, when you got a Khalil Mack, when you got an Aaron Donald, when you got guys yeah, like that, you just got to take that. That's an, you know, that's an incredible piece. And, and the team kind of went all in on this being the Super Bowl window, which I approve of when you have a rookie contract quarterback, but you have to have the right one. Um, you know, and that's another thing with the Eagles trade for Slay is like they're still in their window. They've still, you know, they don't have to blow it all up and start over. They don't have to, you know, sink to mediocrity. And, and teams are kind of figuring out how to facilitate extending that window and uh, keeping themselves competitive. And it's really, it's a really interesting process to see. But with Nick Foles, he goes back to a system that, um, you know, he's had success in. He's going to cost like 7.6% of the salary cap or 7.9 this year, which is a really reasonable contract for a veteran. Um, and I had, I did not know that he could opt out after this year or next year. Um, so that's new news to me, but, um, if they, if they keep him in this current contract, uh, he's under $21 million the next two years, which is going to be under 10% of the cap, which is, you know, kind of think about where Alex Smith was throughout his career and with the chiefs. And that's kind of what puts you in a spot to be, you know, competitive. If you've got that veteran who cost half of what the other guys make, and he still gives you, you know, eight yards per, com- uh, per attempt, uh, 65% completion percentage and 260 yards a game, man, you're, you're, you're in a good, you're in a good position. Well, like you said, everyone's been hoping, and you know, me and Bo have talked about this quite a bit that what, what is the deal with Mitchell Trubisky, you know, and Bo, Bo's I'm upset about it. Yeah. Bo's even told me before, you know, Bo's a, Bo's a UNC fan at heart. And you know, I'm he, one of he, the re- I'm one of the realest UNC football fans you're going to come across. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met one of you. Yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's Bo, man. That's my co-host. But uh, yes, I, I think so, so. We look at let's look at his career stats, Trubisky. His career stats: he's got 8,500 yards, 48 touchdowns, 29 interceptions. Mm. I yeah. mean, it's just not making good decisions. He's got a QBR for throughout his career of 85. Um, last season, he had 3,100 yards, 17 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, QBR of 83. I, I think it's too early to say this guy won't be a starter anymore for the rest of his career, but I think it's a chance. This guy. You think, you think, the, you think the Bears should try and trade him now while they could maybe get something for him? I, I think that um, one thing about Trubisky is that I think what you're saying, too, is that like it's fair to say that he there's still, there's still potential there, but um, – but the second that he's not your starter and Nick Foles beats him out and is your starter, if that's what you think this is going to be, um, can you get anything for him? I mean, are you going to get something later? Um, is he going to improve now that he has a fire under his ass to, to do something, you know, yeah. um, about his about his future? He, about his he is a good athlete. I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's a good. He's a, I mean, he can run. You've seen, we've seen him get out of the pocket and do things and and make a play. He just isn't consistent. But he's the most, the most inconsistent quarterback in that division by far. And he makes a, and there are a lot of throws that are just plain ugly. Yeah, um, it just doesn't. There make were a sense. lot. Of, there were a lot of games that were just hard to watch uh, when he's quarterbacking. So, um, you know, there's is there potential for something to improve? I guess so. But when you're considering like what you want out of that rookie contract, he's just not giving it to the Bears. Yeah, he, he really, really isn't. Um, I don't I don't know. I, I told Bo, and, and Bo, you remember this, I told you that, you know, my hot take, my scorching hot take, Zach, I don't know if you heard this or not, my scorching hot take like three weeks ago was that the uh, 
after the steep regression that Jared Goff took, and I wasn't even calculating numbers that went into this or anything, but I just said that I was thinking the Jaguars would trade Nick Foles um, to the Rams. Nick Foles would take the starting job from Jared Goff. It was just a scorching hot take. Obviously, it didn't happen, but I told Bo that um, I thought the best fit for Nick Foles was the Chicago Bears. Like you said, Zach, he's already familiar with the scheme there and uh, some of the coaches. So I think he landed in a really good spot, and I think he he can help them win more games than Trubisky. I'll just put it to you like that. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I mean, I think that we're talking about a similar scenario to uh, what we're talking about with Denver. Is Does this team have a defense and the pieces around him to make them competitive? Maybe. But you also see something with Brian Pace that starts to be concerning because uh, Brad's, I believe his last name is Spielberger. I just know him as Brad OTC. He's one of our writers at Over the Cap. And he's a massive Bears fan. And one of the things he's been on this week is like, look at the investment in Jimmy Graham. Um, You know, he got $8 million per year. Well, why didn't you go out and get Emmanuel Sanders? I mean, they've got like exactly. six or they got like six or seven uh, tight ends on the roster. Um, I, I there's there have been a few moves that he's made that have made me concerned uh, for his ability to construct the proper roster. Um, and you know, I don't, I, you know, maybe maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but uh, there are concerns. Yeah, I definitely see their concerns, too. Like you said, why didn't they go out there and get a receiver? Uh, obviously, they have Allen Robinson, and they have a guy that I I really, really liked coming out in his draft class, Anthony Miller, and I think he's going to be good this year. But you're right. Why aren't they putting more into the receiving options? I don't know why they're not doing that. And also, um, you know, they got David Montgomery in the draft uh, last year. I think he's going to be good. They still got Tariq Cohen coming out of the backfield. So you have the pieces there. Yeah. But – but I, you just ha- I think you need more in the receiving game, and adding another tight end wasn't the move. I don't adding see that Jimmy as- Graham wasn't. I mean, look at Packers fans. Packers fans were were happy to see him go. I mean, and I, I'm not I'm not saying that you got to be with the mob. You know, you got to you got to believe everything that uh, the mass believes, right? Like if all the Packers fans say something, it doesn't mean it's truth. Maybe they maybe they believe they'd get more out of him, right? Um, but he's, he, what do he have last year? 450 or 500 yards or something. He disappeared most games. Like three touchdowns tops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't, you know, he's like a big receiver. It's like the Steelers he, signed Ebron for $6 million. You pay him $8 million? Oh, Yeah, cool. and one of the things about Graham has always been his ability to block. And one of the most valuable things that a tight end does, and one of the reasons why some people believe that tight end might be even a more valuable position um, than wide receiver uh, which goes against how people spend money. Um, but, you know, I'm always willing to listen to ideas and play with them and, and see how they fit into what I believe. Um, and in terms of tight end, like, he's not a blocker. So you're kind of paying wide receiver money to a guy who's going to play like a wide receiver and doesn't create any, uh, doesn't really create the advantage that you want out of a tight end, at least in the running game. I, I agree with that. Uh but but where do you do you have any predictions for what's going to happen with Mitch? Do you have do you think he's staying or are they trade him? What what do you see? Um, like likely they'll keep him as the backup while he's on a rookie deal. But I mean, I wouldn't expect anything but a trade or a release come the end of his 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 deal. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. I'm not. I mean, I would love to be the the Mitch Trubisky optimist, but I've 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 let that lantern burn out. They've let yeah. that go. And I would I don't see anything other than they trade him for a late round pick maybe one day you know unless he somehow miraculous like like Zach said miraculously 
just just you know, his foals get signed, and now all of a sudden Trubisky's working harder. He becomes a better player. That'll be his only saving grace. Is is Foles, you know, hurts his ankle, and Trubisky comes in and makes a, and has a performance that they just can't let go and, and wins the job. But I don't see that happening. So honestly, you don't see nothing but either a release or a you know a trade for late picks is all I could see coming out of the Trubisky now. Um, Zach, real quick, and this this doesn't have anything to do with the Trubisky. I wanted you to talk on. I saw you put out your video. Um, about the Byron Jones signing in Miami. Did you like that signing? Yes. Uh, I actually didn't get around to it right, right where I the jump when we were talking about the Patriots, right, in that division. But when you consider that they're going to have a, a cheap quarterback um, and you, you got some money to invest, I mean, I, I, I like I said, I, I, I'm a big believer in investing in secondary um, and cornerback. You know, it's a position that doesn't age extremely well. But Byron Jones seems to be the most valuable uh, player uh, what were the best player in that market? And it's not an expensive market considering that the wide receiver market is now at, you know, 20, 22 million. If you consider Cooper and Jones, um, it's a pretty stagnant market. And I think part of that stagnation may be due to guys that haven't um, succeeded on their second contract. So that is always a concern. But when you consider how much cap space they built up and the draft capital that they have, um, you've got to spend your money somewhere. So why not there? Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I was really interested in hearing you talk about Byron Jones and uh, do you, did they front load that contract? Uh, I do not. I'm not sh- entirely sure uh, at the moment. Do you guys have uh, over the cap in front of you? I uh, do. I can Bo, pull up right they, now. How did they load that uh, that contract with Byron Jones? I'm interested to see if they front loaded it, back loaded it. I've been going to every team we talk about just because it's, it's awesome website. So, um, 2020. Cap number looks like 2020. He's due 14. Yeah, yeah, he's 14 the first year, then 17, like even, and then uh, guaranteed 14, guaranteed 11 the first year, guaranteed 14 the second with 17 million dollar uh, cap hit if he plays the full season, I guess. And then 2022, he's guaranteed six million, and that's the last of his guaranteed money, and then he has two years with no guaranteed, and then it's 17.3, 17.1, and 17 even again. So it's mainly backloaded. Here's here's something to consider uh, about all of these signings this offseason, is that the cap, uh, you know, it could grow by a a huge jump because the revenue um, percentage, I think, changes next year. So some people have estimated as high as 40 or $50 million jump, and I don't think it's that high, but let's just say it's a $20 million jump rather than a $10 million jump. You've got $20 more million to play with. So that kind of investment um, in that position or in free agency this year, which, you know, it's a different. It's just a, another variable that makes free agent spending this year a little, little bit different, you know? Yeah, it, it really, really, really does. Um, and, Bo, thanks for looking up on Over the yeah, Cap thank, for me. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. It's I'll good have it to up have the whole time if you've got questions. I've just had it up this whole time. So, guys, awesome. last last question with the NFL topics. Who is the early favorite, especially after all the, the moves that's happened so far, um, to win the Super Bowl next year? Are the Chiefs going to repeat? I don't think so. Um, I, I don't see the Chiefs repeating. Everybody knows how hard that is. Um, yeah, no. But I do want to hear what you guys think. My pick, and I think Bo already knows this, my early pick is the Seattle Seahawks. I think Seattle has given Wilson the best set of weapons he's had in his NFL career. He's got Chris Carson. Uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, tight end, the tight end room, Bo, me and you have talked about this, is insane. They've got Greg Olson, Jacob Hollister, and Will Disley. Um, what, what do you guys, what's your early picks of the Super Bowl winner? Uh, I would 
I would go with the Ravens. Ravens are early pick, but um, a couple other things. I mean, the Chiefs are obviously in the mix, right? I mean, Patrick Mahomes, um, what he's able to do, um, you know, what he was able to do uh, on his rookie contract and what he'll be able to do moving forward. I mean, he's clearly uh, a, a cut above uh, almost everybody else. And But, you know, then you've got Arizona has now made – is really interesting to me now because they've got the rookie contract QB. The Browns are still interesting to me. Because um, they got, you know, like I said, the offensive coordinator is one of your most important investments in the entire organization. And Freddie Kitchens, from what you hear out of out of uh, Cleveland, didn't really seem to have much of a strategy past, um, you know, let's start the game and play football. Um, so, you know, he seems to be one of the, you know, that seems to be a spot. I think the Cowboys are still in the mix. I mean. Uh, you know, they, they've still got a lot of pieces. They lost some of their more important pieces like Robert Quinn, um, but they replaced him with Gerald McCoy. So they're a team that might still be in the mix, um, you know, uh, and then I think that the Bills have built a lot around Josh Allen that interests me, but I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender quite yet. But one of the things that I, I do want to consider is these rookie contract guys, because it seems to be the pattern when you look at who's winning um, championships is that. That pattern seems to include, um, you know, having a good value at quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady or whether it's a rookie contract guy. And obviously the Saints have to be in the mix as well, uh, too. So, so your early pick is the Ravens. Yeah, I think that's I think that's got to be the number one pick because I think they only got better. What are you looking at, Bo? What, what, who's your early pick as of right now? Uh, like you said, I think in the NFC, the two teams you got to look at are the Saints and the Seahawks right now. Um, as a, and I'm going to go – I'll say the Saints would be my pick out of the NFC to go. And then the AFC, I like Baltimore. Um, you could see Baltimore KC AFC Championship this year for sure. But I don't. I just don't see KC getting there two years in a row. It's extremely hard to do. So I'm, I like Baltimore is probably the most complete team uh, in the AFC right now. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with, uh, with them and I guess my early pick winner. Um, I'm going to agree with Zach, Baltimore. Uh, they just, like he said, they got better. They're spending their money in the right ways. Lamar just coming off MVP year. Only going to be hungry after that loss to the Titans you know, at home. So I, I yeah, like Baltimore. And I, and I think uh, something really interesting that PFF posted uh, – from February 10th to March 21st, um, is that the Cardinals and Giants lead the offseason in improvement index. And I'm, I make fun of Dave Gettleman just as everybody else does. Um, but I think the Giants, uh, with a rookie contract quarterback, uh, you know, we can all talk about Saquon Barkley and picking a running back at number two. There are some value, you know, I, here's my thing is I think running backs a very valuable position, but that value is used up during rookie contracts. So it's not the place that you want to be spending money from a value perspective. But I do think some organizations have figured out that if you do find an Ezekiel Elliott, if you do find a complete running back and you have everything else in place, it might be a good first round investment. But, you know, when the Giants did that, they had nothing in place. And um, they, you know, it's it, 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 they've made some mistakes along the way, but they seem to be improving. Um, so it's just an interesting thing I saw from PFF. You know, maybe the Giants are the team that we're not that we should be talking about, and we're not. Maybe Daniel Jones is the guy that is going to make the jump because part of my belief in the Ravens is that Lamar Jackson has improved almost every single season that he has um, played uh, college and NFL football because he came from a high school situation where he kind of was just like, Hey, go out there and play. You're the best athlete on the field. You're going to, you know, you're going to 
you're going to help us win whatever yeah. you do. So, um, you know, I think Baltimore is really the pick. Yeah, I, I, we'll see whose birds win, guys. We'll see if my Seahawks or the Ravens. Uh, and you know, with with our luck, we need, probably neither one of them will win. It'll be the Chiefs going out and winning the game for the second time. So um, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I can't wait to see. I, I love. I don't know about you guys, which I'm sure it's the same answer. I love how how the the league is moving forward at quarterback at this point. I mean, let, let's just look at who's carrying the league. You know, when everybody thought th- thought when, you know, Tom Brady retired, when Drew Brees retired, Peyton Manning retires, when all these guys are gone, they were like, well, how's the league going to be left at quarterback? And Those I think, guys won't leave. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, they, they refuse to leave. But I think when, when they are gone, we have an unbelievable just a list of guys that are going to carry this league forward. I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. I guess you could throw Russell Wilson in there um, as well. You got Carson Wentz, Kyler Murray. I mean, Deshaun Watson. It just goes on and on. And I think the league's in a great spot with their quarterbacks. I well, I think there's it. there's also been a spreadification of the of the offensive systems around the league, right? So there's uh, they've they coaches have finally. I mean, remember when Vince Young came out 15 years ago now is that he, you know, he people at that point in history didn't really understand how to insert a Vince Young into the NFL. That's Um, true. Andy Reid, when he signed Michael Vick, had visions of spreadifying his offense. And it took 10 years to get to that pinnacle of being a champion because Michael Vick just never had the ability to throw the football like Patrick Mahomes did. So his premise was that Michael Vick might be the guy. But running the football alone isn't enough, as we saw with Lamar Jackson um, in the playoffs against the Titans, because when it came time for him to kind of carry the team through, from, when it came time to play from behind and kind of take away some of those efficiency boosters like play action and the totality of the impact that it may have, because no one thinks you're running when you're down 14 or 17 or whatever amount of points, right? Um, you know, when you are in that kind of scenario, uh, you know, that that's hopefully the jump that Lamar Jackson makes next year. Um, and, you know, just based on that principle of spreadification, I think that a lot more quarterbacks. Well, I, are think being put the, in the, the, I think the, the worst thing about, you know, like you said, when Vince Young came out is no one knew how to utilize him. And he was so talented. So yep. talented, and no one, no one knew how to use him in an offensive scheme, and it pretty much derailed his entire career. Oh, yeah, yeah and, and um, but it takes a long time to kind of transition from uh, what is and what could be. You know, like uh, um, you know, the, the NFL game is distinctly different from college, in, in various ways, ways that you and I can understand, and ways that we can't quite understand yet. Um, but I think that part of the value-seeking uh, of NFL organizations and part of why there were so many rookie contract or rookie year wide receivers who had good seasons last year is because they're being inserted into something they're more familiar with than they have been previously, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, but what do you think about the, the, the whole, um, I guess, the whole Vince Young? I, I, I can't get over the whole... Do you guys think that Vince Young would have – I think he would have excelled in today's um, offenses. I think he would have. Yeah. you all I mean, agree? I, I, think, I think so. I think he was – the like, NFL game is starting to look more like the college game, and that's that's the kind of style he was – like like the way the offenses are ran, you know, the, the, that's the kind of style he's built for. And, I mean, I think that to, to come in and not be – and no one know how to utilize what you're best at and then have the expectations that he had. I can't imagine how how, how someone could deal with that, uh, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I I think that people, it's similar to what Bill Walsh did, right? Is that 
he brought the game to a place where a higher uh, supply of quarterbacks could succeed, which is basically why he created the system, because his big-armed quarterback, Greg Cook, got hurt at a time when you couldn't fix torn rotator cuffs. So he had to go out and he had to find Virgil Carter, who was like an everyman journeyman who had mobility and accuracy, and he constructed his offense around that. So on that same kind of principle, what he did was he created a system that Joe Montana, third-round pick type of guy, uh, you know, led his team. And Ken Anderson, right? Ken Anderson is the guy he drafted. Uh, they drafted the year after signing Carter, and he was another third-round pick, and he had a long, successful career. So I think that this spread thing is making it so a wider variety of guys can succeed because they're running something they're familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I think we've made a lot of good points with the with the NFL topics. I mean, we could sit here and talk all day about this stuff. And we didn't even touch on it. I mean, there were some – some, and I'm sure Bo is going to be kind of upset and he's going to want to run with this one right here, the Eric Ebron to the Steelers. My man is all over that signing. You love it. What was it? What was it? A twelve million dollar deal? Yeah, six million a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that. I think Eric Ebron's going to excel in that offense, especially with a healthy Big Ben. The guy, yeah. the guy's and, beard's looking healthy. That beard. And did crazy. you hear what he said? He said that uh, it's the first time in years he's thrown without without pain in his arm. The I feel new like he ligament. Said that a ton, though. I feel like he said that a ton. So well, he's he's he, you know he weighs less than he's weighed in like a decade. He, he does. He yeah. Does. I mean, and then people think he's been getting fatter, but really he's been on a diet. So. Well, We'll see. Man. <laughs> the the O line the O line situations are rough in Pittsburgh. We don't need to go down this rabbit hole with me. We really don't. But yeah, yeah I know this rabbit hole will lead. This will uh, I could do a separate podcast on this. Oh, you absolutely could. You need to get like a Steelers podcast going, man. Like the I'm, uh, I'm, I have enough going on with this podcast and and the writing stuff. So I'll, I'll think I'm gonna think about it. I've been I've been you know BSing around about doing a Steelers podcast for a while, but but we, we'd have to see about that. I don't know. Are don't you know, a big time Steelers? Oh God! Are you a yeah. big time Steelers guy? Yeah, yeah, I go up to Pittsburgh every year and go to games. I went to the Bills game this year, uh, where the where all the Edmonds brothers played. They're from our hometown, so I went up there to see uh, them nice. all play on one field uh, uh, this year. That was a blast. I, I started out just going up there every year for the Ravens game a few years ago. Once I finally got old enough and had enough money to start going, and and then started out with my with my family and now it's just me and like my girlfriend normally going but yeah i make, I make it up every year I, and I, I love the steelers and they're always I'm, i've been looking at their cap stuff on over the cap ever since jacob turned me on to it and they are always constricted uh with the in the in the cap space but they always find a way to get it done somehow yeah i think uh my my perceptions of of what teams are capable of doing uh is com- continually changing um they they you know it really is it really is just about getting good players and, and understanding the basic uh, principles behind building. But as long as you've got the right guys in the building, there are all these maneuvers that teams are using to figure out a way to find a little extra piece here or a little, you know, a little extra boost hit there. Obviously you don't want to spend money poorly, but uh, you know, if you, if you've got good players and you've invested in the right guys, um, you know, anything's really possible from a cap perspective. I think the Steelers are just one of those teams, guys similar to the Patriots were for, 20, 30 years, I mean, even longer, I guess, for Pittsburgh and being the Rooney family, they just have a way they do it. They have a way they handle their – the way they build their teams. And, I mean, I, I like how they do it. They do it a lot of the ways you're talking about. Uh, consistent offensive linemen, they will pay the quarterback if they have that quarterback. But you saw in, like, the 90s where they went through, like, Tom Zach and Neil O'Donnell and Coyle Stewart years. Um, they know, made a Super Bowl with Neil O'Donnell. 
Exactly. Like they'll yeah. cycle through if that's what they're doing, but they'll pay if that's what they're doing. So, I mean, it's, they have their way of doing things in Pittsburgh. I really like it. I've been, my dad is the, you know, got me into it when I was a little kid. First, first football game I ever watched was, was a Steelers game, Steelers Browns. I'll never forget the first time I, the, the, the first game I can remember. And it's, it's been like an addiction ever since. Yeah. You can imagine how this podcast goes, uh, Zach, because see, uh, Bo is, one of the biggest Steelers fans I've ever met. Maybe the biggest. I'd say probably the biggest. And then I'm a Bengals fan, ride or die Bengals fan. So we have a lot of we talk a lot of shit to each other during the podcast. So hey, uh, you got, you have got to be excited about the Bengals. Um, so the Bengals. I am excited. I am really excited. I think we have a lot of huge. I think we have a lot of key guys, and we're, and we're getting we're finally starting to play a part in free agency. All I'm saying is, Bo's heard it before. If they, if they mess up and they don't take Joe Burrow in this draft, I will lose all faith in my team. I really will. <laughs> yeah, I think you got to move on at that point. Yeah, I can't wait. But, guys, talking about the NFL draft, the NFL draft is not going to be in Las Vegas anymore. It's going to be the same dates, but the draft will be in a studio setting. And I guess it's looking like the players are getting drafted from home at this point. Um, they I get, I, for health-wise, this is obviously the right move, but this is going to be really weird, I think. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I mean, it's definitely going to be weird, but what isn't weird right now, bro? Uh, yeah, everything like, is, everything's yeah. upside down. Everything yeah. is absolutely weird. And, and speaking as the draft, of, um, speaking of the draft as well, the, uh, Detroit Lions draft plan at this point, I think has, um, definitely, I don't think it's changed. It looked like they were going to get this guy anyway, but with the Lions trading away, star cornerback Darius Slay, uh, I now firmly believe the team will select Ohio State cornerback Jeffrey Okuda, uh, and get him to come in and fill that spot immediately. Uh, Okuda is talented enough to step in right away and lock down receivers at the NFL level. Uh, I think the guy's got all pro potential at the next next level and i think the alliance should already be ready to select him come april and pair him with their new signee desmond trufant from the atlanta falcons um but and also he's cheap too right he's Trufant's cheap too he, cheap. he is he is cheap i think it was an eight million dollar deal i may be wrong i think it was eight million dollars but um but another thing with detroit is i think they're a major trade back candidate and i i could see them being interested in trading back to hoard as many picks as possible to use in the yeah. draft so, so we'll see what they're going to do with this. But uh, are you guys with me? Y'all see them taking Okuda, especially after the Slay trade? Uh, yeah, I, I see them taking Okuda, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna say he's my early rookie defensive player of the year pick. So, so what what pick do they have? Third overall. Yeah. Third overall. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is if you really believe in Okuda, go out and get you know a cornerback is especially a rookie contract cornerback, right? This is probably. The biggest issue with the Cowboys selecting Ezekiel Elliott over is that they selected him over Jalen Ramsey. Um, so, cornerback is a place where, again, like I said, not a great age curve, not a position that's going to be around forever. Getting a rookie contract guy who excels is a huge value bonus for your organization. But alternatively, if they trade back and they hoard picks, considering that they've got Matt Stafford at 15% of the cap these next few years, really, um, you know, they're in a position where. Um, where, uh, you know, they could use a bunch of players around him, clearly. Um, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, so I'm not without uh, quite a few upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, Bo, you said that, you know, uh, Okuda is your early rookie, defensive rookie of the year pick. I can't go that far yet. I still am a firm believer that Chase Young is going to get that award. 
But I could see Okuda again. I'm not saying that's unlikely. I, I could. Both of those guys are so talented and so polished. They're I think both they're both so NFL ready in my. They're opinion. so NFL ready. It's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous scene. how NFL ready these two guys are. Um, and, and of course, Ohio State's known for that, man. They're known for putting out guys. Look, I mean, look just look at Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward. I mean, the Garyon yeah. Conley. These guys are. You know, I think Ohio the rookie. State's I think rookie edge rusher is more likely to hit the wall, in my opinion, the rookie wall. I just, I, I just think that. he's gonna be dealing with veteran left tackles, you know. Especially, I think, uh, I think down was it? Are they in, is it the Redskins that this got the second picker? Probably Redskins, gonna be taking yeah, Chase Young, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, he's gonna be facing the Cowboys twice a year. You know what I mean? He's gonna be facing uh, the Eagles. Yeah, he's gonna be facing which, some, which some are decent teams with great offensive well, lines. Exactly. I mean, these these are these are teams that could potentially handle Chase Young. Like you know, he's more likely to get tight end stuck over there and get double teamed. You know, and be getting chipped all day. I mean, he's, you talk about he, hitting the rookie wall. I mean, look at Nick Bosa last year. Then Nick, if, if Nick yeah. Bosa hit a rookie wall, I'd love to see him without a rookie wall. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like edge or corner. I think you could see the edge rusher hitting the wall first. I, I can agree with that. I, can I mean, he's just he's just they're going to be scheming around him more. I feel like I mean, I don't I see more quarterbacks testing the rookie corner. You know what I mean? Rather than letting the rookie edge rusher just run free and eat for a whole season. Yeah, exactly. you can't you couldn't scheme around Nick Bosa last year. Yeah, you know, not there, at all. So there was you know he was a part of something special on that defensive line. Um, so I mean that's clear. And then. I think you know, just like let me just ask you a question. What position do you think is harder to play? Cornerback. Right. So so that's just a kind of a, a way I, I would think of kind of looking at it when I when I'm listening to you guys talk, right? It's like um, you know, imagine playing cornerback, uh going from, you know, every other week you're facing some guy who's uh essentially uh, you know, a high level purple belt and you're a black belt and mm-hmm. now you're facing black belts every week. So good luck. You know, <laughs> yeah, on an island. Um, but I think, uh, Zach, who is your defensive rookie of the year pick early? I mean, is it is it between Chase Young or Okuda? I'm not as I'm not as high into the scouting side right now. But I mean, Chase Young seems to be uh, quite the freak. Um, and but you know, every year, uh, you know, Darius Leonard came out of nowhere. Um, so a couple years ago, but Nick Bosa could have been everyone's pick last year. So I don't I, mean, I don't know. But like both of you guys said. Ohio State players are, are game ready. So, They're I mean, so I don't think good. That, yeah, I don't think that, you know, there's certain programs, like when you were talking about the Steelers, right? The Steelers just do things the right way. Whether it's, you know, whether you can articulate exactly what that right way is or you just kind of know it intuitively, um, Ohio State is the same thing. Where it's like, how many guys have come out of Ohio State that are really solid players? And uh, the list is endless. Yeah, pretty much. Ohio State's come out. I mean, just on a streak here, and may have just taken the um, um, DB title. You know, producing the best DBs at the NFL level, um, DBU. They could have pretty much taken that from LSU, which I didn't think anyone was going to do. I really yeah, don't. yeah. Texas used to be that uh, long, like ten years ago. Unfortunately, no longer. Yeah, unfortunately, no longer. And, and Bo, do you remember when uh, Texas wore the DBU shirts against LSU? No. Especially yeah. and Joe, Joe Burrow just torched them. They, they, they probably don't want to remember it. Oh, no. my gosh. That was no. horrible. But, guys, let's, I want to talk about another guy that's that's news is all surrounding um, in the NFL draft world is Tua. Uh, Tua is scheduled to have an MRI done on his hip April 10th, and it will send it to teams along with a workout video. 
of him training as well. Um, up to this point, Tua has gotten positive news and updates about his recovery from his hip injury. I have him locked in firmly as my quarterback, too, as we are about a month away from the draft. Uh, by having mocked the Miami Dolphins with them selecting him with the fifth overall pick. Um, and also, it's been rumored that Tua was the Dolphins' first call for a pre-draft visit before all of it got canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but I also think, and I told you this, Bo, and see if you agree with me here, Zach, we talked about the blueprint of the rookie contract for quarterbacks a whole lot in this episode. I believe the Dolphins have been busy in free agency to get key pieces in place before they select their franchise quarterback uh, in Tua in April. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that's really like, so I'm representing a player out of UT this year named Jamari Chisholm. He's an interior defensive lineman. And I'm working with uh, my friend, Dr. Ray uh, Haya uh, out of um, out of MGA Sports. And I'm here in Austin, so I'm able to be be around Jamari and uh, take care of some business that we're going to need to take care of here over the next few months, because every single player is under the potential that not only will their pro day be canceled, but their pro. But not only like think about this. Their pro day might be canceled, and then they also might be told that they can't leave their home or go to the field to run even a makeshift little combine to send out a team. So we're in the process this week of trying to figure out, is Texas pro day going to happen? And here's a really important part of this is that it, I think it's uh, April 1st. So here we are on March 21st or March 22nd, whatever, who knows what the days are anymore. Um, and we're looking at this week, like, are we going to run a simulated pro day? And then maybe he has to do the same thing in the, at the real thing next week, or are we going to hold out and wait to see if that happens? Um, and then we might lose out on the opportunity to take care of getting some film to teams before this draft. And so for Tua to be, make sure to be in front of that, it's something, it's every agent's job right now to figure out what are we supposed to do right now? Yeah, it's it's a really difficult situation, um, and I, I in one of the episodes I have coming up, I'm interviewing a guy named Gary Ramey uh, who goes to Bridgewater College. He was at the National Scouting Combine this year in Indy, and he was telling me that you know he he got invited to the JMU Pro Day, um, which he was really excited about. But he doesn't know whether by the time it comes around, whether it's still going to be going on. And he's, you know, it's worrying players. It's worrying these athletes that they might may not have as many eyes on them as they could have. Yeah, and, and consider this is like, I mean, we're going to take video of this, right? And I'm sure that everybody can make their own times, but then it's also going to be weird because am I going to be the one with the stopwatch? Is one of my friends who's a trainer at the gym that's across the street from my jiu-jitsu gym on it, um, are, are they going to be able to help me out with it? Um, like, what kind of credibility does this film even have to them? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy scenario where it's like, and, you know, just consider that, like consider the output that a pro day takes on an athlete and consider that all of their training has been preparing for uh, whatever date their pro day is, their strength coaches and everybody has been preparing them in terms of their workload for that date. And now everyone is kind of, uh, there's a massive wrench thrown in it for every player who didn't get a chance to show what they could do at the combine. So what is that going to do? Think about how much of an advantage it is also to the guys who got to have their normal pro day. Like C.D. Lamb and Kenneth Murray and those guys from Oklahoma, the guys like Isaiah um, Isaiah Simmons and T. Higgins from Clemson, um, and Justin Herbert, he was at the Oregon Pro Day. These guys got to have their pro day done. I think that's an advantage to them because now some of these other guys that were up against them don't get to have that same accredited film and workouts. Yeah, I mean, it's it's – 
I mean, obviously, this is not the biggest issue that anyone's facing right now. Uh, let's just let's just make sure everyone knows we understand that. But uh, but man, it's uh, it's it's going to have an impact on on where people are drafted. It's going to have an impact on if people are drafted. It definitely is going to have a big impact on that. Um, but what's your take on it? You know, the the pro days um, getting eliminated and and things like that. I mean, I, I see why they're doing it, but it, it really like you've been talking about. It really hurts, really hurts the guy who does who isn't known about. It really hurts the, the I guess the the little guy. Even though none of these guys are little, they're all freak athletes. Even even the Bridgewater athlete that's good enough to get invited to the JMU pro day. You know, he's a freak athlete in his own right, and. I mean, I feel bad for them. I, I wish they could do it. And like you said, I hope they're able to get out and, and make these, the video, you know, mock combines, I guess you'd say, uh, and, and, and do that because I think it's going to be hard to judge just from a video, but I feel like you have to, you know, you have to exhaust all options. And, and I, I really do feel for them. Uh, I wish them the best. I mean, especially the small school guys. I mean, even, even D1, the, the JMU type player. Not even just the Bridgewater, you know, lower level player. Even just the D one AA guys, you know, they they're losing a lot of quality time in front of NFL scouts right now, and you got to feel for them. Yeah, you yeah. absolutely have to. Um, but Zach, again, it's been awesome having you on to talk ball, my man. I'm glad you finally got to come on the TSR podcast and have some fun with us. Um, I, again, I remember the first time I met you uh, last year at the NFL Combine, I got to do a podcast with you, and it was so much fun that I knew I had to get you on here and talk on the TSR podcast. Man, I've been talking to Bo about it for a while that I had to get you on here. Um, guys, please go purchase your copy of Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions on Amazon.com. And like uh, Zach said, there is going to be a second edition coming out in the fall so please please go purchase that as well when it comes out um zach we're gonna have to roll sometime my man i'm sure you've done more training than i have but i'm always up for some jujitsu so we're gonna have to roll at some point the next time i see you we're just gonna yeah. have to do it well hopefully there is an nfl combine next year and if there is uh we will uh we will have to go to 10th planet indianapolis and uh, oh i was around it i would yeah, love yeah. That, man. um guys please go give zach moore some love follow him on twitter at zach moore nfl and on instagram at zach moore nfl um any small school athletes who are looking to have film broken down and wants to learn more about their game please email me scouting breakdown at gmail.com let's get things started let tsr take care of you any athletes looking for representation and someone that will work hard for them please contact my man Ramiro Ferrand at Ferrand Sports at F-E-R-R-A-N-D Sports. This man is putting some commercials together that will feature small school athletes highlights. Please contact him and don't miss this opportunity. Again, that is at Ferrand Sports at F-E-R-R-A-N-D Sports. Follow Blitzalytics on Twitter and visit Blitzalytics.com. Go to the Members tab. Click on Jacob Patterson. Check out my profile, some of the articles that I've written, and I will be having 2020 scouting reports coming out soon for you guys to check out, so please stay up to date with the latest draft information. Bo, go ahead and give them your plug, my man, so they will know to find you. <clears throat> All right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my It's capital T-S-R, lowercase B-E-A-U. It's at TSR Bow. Um, and a little small news I switched uh, contributing writing sites for the Steelers. I was with Last Word on Pro Football. I really appreciated them and everything they did. They got my footing in this whole writing thing, uh, which is what I got into doing so I could get ready for doing this podcast with you. Um, and I joined at Still Curtain. A lot of people up in the Pittsburgh area, Pennsylvania area, call the Steelers the Stillers. It's just the way they, it's their accent, it's the way they pronounce it. So it's at Still Curtain uh, with the fan sided network. 
I'm really excited to start with them. Uh, hopefully, I'll get an article out this week. I have just starting to get my account information and all that set up. Guys, please go follow TSR or me on the uh, on Twitter at Scouting LLC. Um, check out everything that I'm putting out. I'm trying to keep you guys up to date with the latest information that I can find. Um, I retweet a lot of stuff that should help out small school athletes that are trying to get representation um, or trying to learn about pro days. I try to tweet a whole lot of that stuff out there and uh, retweet it. So if you need any information on that, go to my profile and see if you can find some. Please follow TSR on Instagram at scouting underscore LLC. Please give us some follows. Our following, um, our following is blown up on Instagram, so I'm extremely happy about that. Uh, people are starting to take a look, take notice of TSR a little bit. And like I said, guys, merchandise it will be coming out soon. Um, I switched the companies that is making the TSR T-shirts. So I am trying to get everything out there for you guys to start repping TSR a little bit more. And again, I, I um, appreciate all the support. Till next week, guys. TSR out. Zach, peace out, my man. Hey, thanks for having me. You know it's showtime when this beat kicks in This is the TSR pop where all we do is win It's just football fiends on a mission Delivering opinions of my significance Man, I hope you've been listening Cause scouting is the business You're welcome cause it's a privilege Most people in this position just don't give it away, no All that's left to say now is welcome to the show Cause you know Jacob and Ball were ready, so let's go Well, I got the gotta get it, put it in you Feeling with the feeling, don't stop, continue